Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. I am Pastor Wright. And I'm Vicar Hill. And today we are going to look at the readings for the sixth Sunday after the Epiphany. If you want to listen to all the readings, you can do so on the readings podcast that was dropped previous to this. We're going to look at the gospel lesson, and that's from St. Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 26, and this is the Sermon on the Plains. It's very similar to the Sermon on the Mount, as we see in St. Matthew, but there's some difference. Um, We see the, first of all, location. Uh, Verse 17, Jesus came down with with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem, and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits unclean spirits, were cured. So a lot is happening. And uh, this could be his second sermon, the first sermon being in Nazareth. Um, but nonetheless, we have Jesus preaching, Jesus bringing the word to the people, but also bringing miracles, bringing cure, bringing healing, bringing peace, bringing restoration. So a lot is happening. And I want to bring a, a little point of clarification. Second sermon that's recorded for us. Yes, second, uh, the, yes, yes. The, the implication here is that he's he's been going around teaching, right. uh, I want to say all over the place, but that's an exaggeration. Mm-hmm. And he is he has become known as a, a pretty um, respected or at least well-known teacher at this point, which kind of lends itself to why people are <laughs> are coming to him and, and gathering around him. Let me ask you this. Do you think he's famous or infamous? <laughs> probably depends who you ask. That's, that's <laughs> it's fair. Because um, a lot of the stuff he's saying is probably typical to what other rabbis would have been teaching. Uh, mm. Jesus didn't come to you know, uh, override the Old Testament or anything like that, but he came to fulfill it. Um, so he, he, in that sense, he's really preaching a lot of the same stuff, I would assume. Right. But then there's also this new element to it uh, as we see him reveal, uh, especially in Nazareth, hey, all this stuff is about me. So yeah. <laughs> that's where kind of the the rub is with some of the people who probably are not going to um, to liken what, what he's saying. Well, so the sermon then goes with Jesus looking at his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor. And then he continues, blessed are you who are hungry. Blessed are you who weep now. Blessed are you when people hate you, exclude you, revile you, spurn your name as evil on the account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. So this sounds very similar to the Sermon on the Mount, 
blessed are the poor of spirit, blessed are the hungry, blessed are those, so on and so forth. And I, I think it's interesting that Jesus comes to say these beatitudes, these blessings. And we have to put this in context. Who is he talking to? And he's talking to those who have gathered a great multitude of people who have diseases, who are sick, who are demon-possessed, who are hungry. Basically, it's the needy. The needy have come to have Jesus do something for them. Now, right here, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. Um, if you're a parent, if you are a sibling, a child, when somebody in your family is sick, you will go to great lengths for their comfort, for their help, for for their, their healing. And I'm curious, has the miracle and the fame of Jesus' uh, prophetic work and miracle work gone out so much where it's, hey, my kid, my family member, my wife, my husband, my aunt, nephew, neighbor's dog walker is sick. Finally, we can find relief. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm really curious about the whole, um, the balance between miracle and teaching. So in other words, uh, are these people coming because they believe what he's teaching Therefore, they can be healed by his miraculous powers. That kind of what you're getting after. Yeah, because even uh, verse uh, 19, and all the crowds sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. If they just touch him, mm -hmm. I mean, we we hear the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. Even in her mind, we, we get a little insight. If I just touch the corner of his robe, I'll be healed. Mm -hmm. You know, and. Again, I don't know what her faith was. Was it in the act of touching or the act of who she's touching, you know, so on and so forth. I don't know. And I, I don't want to put anybody's uh, faith in question. I just think it's interesting because before we pushed record, you made an interesting statement about how many people were following Jesus. Uh, you, you said it's probably in the thousands. That's what one scholar I was reading said, uh, yeah. which which seems like a lot. Yeah. Um, but. I mean, we weren't there, so we don't know. But I think, uh, going back to your point, I mean, obviously, I think the popularity is growing. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if I want to put a specific number on it. Right. But it's it's fun Big to number. think about and imagine. I mean, we see here a, a great crowd, mm -hmm. so take that as you will. Um, but with this, this idea of belief, um, I, I think the belief that Jesus can heal, can do something miraculous uh, is there for these people. And the reason I kind of lend myself to that uh, is we see the the contrast between the people who are being healed here, who are uh, literally involved in miracles, mm -hmm. and the people in Nazareth um, who mm -hmm. did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah. They, they rejected him, and therefore uh, we see in the Gospels that uh, Jesus does not perform right. uh, any or hardly any miracles in Nazareth. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's the correlation there between the unbelief and the lack of miracles. So here where we have people coming and being healed, uh, I, I kind of want to say there that there's a connection here that they believe that he can heal them. Right. Now, how far that goes, how deep that belief is, I'm not going to tread into those waters. Yeah. 
but I think there's something too. Uh, they've heard reports. They're seeing other people be healed, and they believe that he can do something. Uh, you, no, I, I agree completely because I also like to push that just a little bit further, and um, with the idea that these people are being restored to life. Uh, they're, they're the demon possessed. Possessed. The whole idea. They're not living with their family. And again, just broad brush, uh, the disruption of family or, or those who are, are deathly sick and to have, be cured and healed. That's the restoration of life, which I really do think points to the reason Jesus has come. This is a foreshadowing to the restoration of eternal life or perfection, the, the full healing that we will have uh, when Jesus returns. These are all foreshadowing, precursors, and so on and so forth. So Jesus is really laying this awesome and amazing groundwork. See, I have healed you here. Think how much more I have for you. Uh, I am the full Messiah. I am the full God. I fixed your earthly life. Think what, think what I can do for your eternal life. And I, I appreciate how, how far you were willing to go without saying, oh, yeah, of course they believed and everybody uh, worshiped Jesus and they're all in heaven now. We don't know, and that's not for us to, to say yes or no about. But the power and might of God is there in Christ. And I, I again, appreciate the needy show up. They recognize Jesus can fix this situation. And I don't want to leave it superficial, but I do want to leave it superficial. They're going for a problem, and Jesus fixes it. What does that do for faith? We don't know, except that Jesus lays a groundwork. But we got a flip side to this. So blessed are you, blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry, blessed those who are weeping, blessed are the hated. But then he also turns around and says, woe. But woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are full now. Woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you when people speak well of you. So when I read this, I, I first of all struggled a lot because Jesus actually goes to great lengths to show that he doesn't hate rich people. He doesn't hate those who have food. He doesn't hate those who are laughing, and he doesn't hate those who have a good reputation or, or those who are, are spoken well of. He really does speak well and uh, blesses these people. And so why would Jesus throw these people under the bus in such a blanket statement? And uh, dear listeners, Vicar came to the rescue on this. Uh, he, he really pointed out something that I thought was really good. Uh, do, do you want to go the comfort and complacency, or do you, do you want me to do it? You can go ahead. Okay. I, I thought it was really good. You already gave me the credit, so I'll, okay. I'll just sit back and uh, watch it unfold. Well, Vicar pointed out that um, when you have everything working out for yourself, when you have uh, money in the bank and you're not worried about the bills, when you have food on the table, food in the pantry, food in the refrigerator, and you are well-fed, if you have joy and fun in your life and people speak well of you, what worries do you have? What needs do you have? Are you then seeking help? Are you seeking uh, more support? No, you, you kind of have everything taken care of. And it's easy to start looking at yourself. 
I've done this. Mm-hmm. I'm good. And um, and again, I like what you said, that now it takes some catastrophic event for you to start praying or going back to devotion or looking to God. And when you said that, uh, when we were talking about this, I thought of uh, 9-11. After 9-11, the churches were full, I mean, like really full. And the sad thing is, it lasted for a good couple of months. Mm. And then everybody went back to life or went back to to whatever they were doing. The, uh, the crisis was over, so to speak. And I, I appreciated what you said because, again, when— God curses the rich, the fool, the laughing, the the uh, people spoken well of. He's talking about where their trust is, mm-hmm. and we need to be very specific about that. God doesn't curse people because they have money or or food. It's when they become self reliant or they don't see whose hand this came from. And I think to that point, we can tie it back um, here at Holy Cross. We did uh, our Sunday. Bible class recently went over the book of Ecclesiastes, and in there, um, one of the big topics that Solomon kind of deals with is this idea of uh, what do you do with God's gifts, Uh, the things that he provides for you in this life, um, even the comforts and perhaps the excesses, the things that we don't need, but we are still given. Uh, And interestingly, Solomon says, you enjoy the gifts God gives. Um, so it's interesting. It's not, you know, you should be condemned just because right. you have wealth or, or whatever you have. You're supposed to enjoy it. But the key thing coming from Solomon in, in Ecclesiastes is you have to remember the source of that gift. Yeah. Uh, where, where did that come from? And kind of tying this with what you were just kind of laying out, um, it's this idea that when you're when everything is going so well, when when you don't really have big cares in the world because things are just falling into place and you're not worried about the bills and whatever, you can start to lose sight of where all these blessings mm-hmm. are coming from. Um, and that's kind of the big point I'm looking at with this is we're seeing the contrast between God's people living as God's people, uh, knowing that it's going to be hard, mm-hmm. there's going to be the struggle, and then those who um, have kind of forgotten what it means to be God's people because they've forgotten uh, who God is as the one providing all of the things of life. Um, so really, that that's kind of the the big point that we were kind of talking about earlier that comes out nicely here. To add to this, in the first century, when you look at the people who are rich, it was the idea that God has blessed them. So for Jesus to actually say, woe to the rich, this is really contrary to to popular belief. Didn't God bless these people? Doesn't God like these people? And it goes back to where is their faith? Where is their trust? Have they become complacent? Have they uh, started working for themselves and misusing these gifts and and not seeing where they come from? So, Vicar, I I got a question for you. Mm -hmm. As as you pointed out, this is Jesus' second recorded sermon. I I think it's interesting. Uh, You have had a couple homiletic classes. You've had a half a year of preaching experience here at Holy Cross. Trying um, trying to preach. Trying to preach. <laughs> so this is an interesting sermon. I mean, there is definite gospel. There is definite law. Um, how do you take this sermon? And then I, I believe this is the, a text that you'll be preaching. How, it is. How do you preach this? Because it, it's, it, it's easy to be really superficial 
God loves the poor. God hates the rich. Go forth and be poor. Well, it could be a pretty short sermon if I go that <laughs> route. Um, no, with this, uh, it, it kind of sets up, uh, and in our preaching classes at the seminary, they do a nice job of giving us a bunch of different mm-hmm. um, structures that we can use to formulate our sermons that will help people understand what's going on. Uh, and one of them, this is a little in the weeds, but one of them is is an expository structure mm-hmm. where you're explaining what's going on in the text. And then within that, we have a structure that is a compare and contrast. Now, that's every, everybody's familiar with the idea of compare and contrast, but this sermon structure is used to, to draw out a teaching from the text, what's the main point of the text, and then show the contrast between uh, the opposing sides of this teaching. And that kind of is what this falls under, because we have the contrast here of living as uh, God's people, living in the kingdom of God here yeah. and now, which comes with persecution. Mm. I mean, that, that's really what Jesus is talking about. Um, those who hunger, who weep, who mourn, and all of this is on account of the Son of Man. Okay, so we have the, the persecution that comes with living as God's people in contrast with uh, those who are setting aside uh, living as God's people and are focusing on themselves. Uh, so in this way, in verses 24 to 26, we have this idea of um, of living, uh, I don't know if popularity is the right term, uh, but living for the here and now, uh, accumulating stuff, mm. not being concerned with, with other people. Um, but that's really the compare and contrast here on display. Living as God's people in God's kingdom, where you're going to be persecuted for his sake, in contrast with living for really yourself, where you can gain popularity, wealth, comfort, all those things of life. No, I, I think that's interesting. I appreciate the going to the weeds a little bit, but the, the compare and contrast, because then it really does help understand the, the bigness of this, which goes into my next question uh, to continue to pick on you a little bit. Uh, again, Jesus is giving a sermon, and when we think of sermons, he has to have an audience. And uh, one of the scholars that I read actually says there's three types of audience within this great multitude. The first is the needy. They've come for something and moved by the Holy Spirit, moved by whatever to receive what Jesus is offering, all well and good. And the second one, or the second audience, is the disciples. And disciples being uh, just students, learners, and followers. And then the third, which becomes real narrow, uh, the twelve. And especially with uh, verse 20, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, and it seems like he's preaching very narrowly for all of the the multitude. You asked a question before we came in, in here to record, where do we fall in, in the great multitude or in the audience? How do, how do we apply this? And not necessarily just application, but where do we see ourselves in receiving this? So with this, uh, I kind of like the idea of the different audiences, and I I kind of find, <laughs> and it's dangerous when you're when you're trying to where do, where am I in this yeah. text because we don't want to always put ourselves in there. But doing that with this text, I kind of um, we can lump ourselves in with the inner circle because mm-hmm. we are followers followers of Jesus. Um, we've been baptized into His name. We live as His people, but we're still sinful 
creatures. Right. Um, and with that, I kind of think of James and John, we were discussing this, um, who, who you know, were following Jesus, but maybe uh, didn't have all the perfect intentions. Yeah. Uh, and coming out here in this idea of, of living with persecution uh, or, or popularity, they're kind of good examples of the the idea that um, you know we get senses from other pieces of scripture where they kind of wanted to be high and mighty mm-hmm. with Jesus in the in the here and now, yeah. and he, and Jesus has to correct them and and knock them down a little bit to say no, this is going to be hard. Uh, we know they're going to be martyred because yeah. they're going to drink from the cup that he drinks. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that, it's this idea of we fight back this idea of um, living for the the other people speaking well of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, that should not be our primary focus. Right. It should be preaching the gospel and knowing full well that when we do that, uh, it's going to be met with um, rejection. Uh, there's going to be persecution. And so that's kind of the choice in front of us. Um, so with that, um, you know, not all of us are going to have diseases that need to be mm-hmm. healed, but we're all going to fight this battle between, okay, how do I live as God's child? Uh, is it to glorify myself, uh, to live an easy, comfortable life, or is it to, to truly preach Him and in that endure persecution for His sake? I don't know if that answered the question, but you're, you're, that's my answer. Your answer is a lot better than, than mine, because I always say, we're all of them. <laughs> we're, we're the ones who need the, the healing, let it be spiritual forgiveness or, or even bodily. But we're also the disciples' followers. And not that we're the, the chosen 12, but how much more information do we have? And I like what you said, the inner circle, without putting us in to the 12 or, or the apostles or anything like that. And it's interesting because— what Jesus has to tell us in this sermon still reigns true today. But now it's different because he's not physically here. We're not physically touching him for the healing of a, a illness or demon possession. But yet we still receive his healing of forgiveness, the promise of salvation, the promise of eternal life, rescuing from, from eternal damnation. All of that is presented each time we come to hear him preach to us through the liturgy, through the hymnody, through the readings, and even the sermons from the pastor or vicar. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable. And of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.